everybody. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Ebro podcast series. Today we've got our regional claims manager, Dave Gackle, back in the studio to talk about large loss claims handling. Dave, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me again. So first off, while many of our listeners are familiar with the term, could you explain a little bit about what large loss exactly is? How does it differ from a total loss or, say, a commercial loss? Sometimes I hear the terms used interchangeably. Well, they very much are used interchangeably, especially the large loss and total loss. Those those can be almost seamless. Mm-hmm. But really, they really are kind of three different aspects to consider. The commercial loss typically is specifically commercial policy related. Sure. The large loss can very well be carrier specific to a certain dollar amount. For instance, uh, one of the carriers that we work with, they have a $50,000 threshold. So if any of our adjusters see that you know that claim in particular is going to go over $50,000, our instruction is, is we turn it back over to them to their large loss team. I see. And then in comparison to the total loss, almost exclusively, that's when the structure has basically been destroyed by fire or a tornado mm-hmm. or a hurricane. And there, there's nothing there's, left. There's nothing left. Sure. And that really many times is more of that that scenario. Okay, very good. Well, I appreciate the clarification. You bet. Uh, let's just get into the nuts and bolts of large loss claims handling. All right. So we've got... Uh, Really, one of the big things that we talked about in our last podcast, Tina, was preparation. And in this particular scenario, the preparation has to be even, you know, really more intense on these kind of assignments. Um, some of those assignments will be longer than others, but we'll all have degrees of stress associated to the different type of the assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, living conditions can be very hard to, even to find, let alone not necessarily as nice as you may normally like oh, yeah. to have them. Sure. We had a we had an adjuster just very recently with Hurricane Harvey that um, he was told, yes, he could go ahead and check into his hotel as long as he didn't um, brush his teeth or take a shower. <laughs> um, he, was, he was basically instructed not to use the water at all. And yeah. that was for about three or four days. Yeah, so. which I, I think that, um, you know, we think it's not a big deal, but wait till you get somewhere and you don't have access to the utilities and things you're accustomed to. Yeah. I had an experience. I spent some time in the field um, during Harvey and Irma, um, and I had booked some accommodations online. So word to the wise, sometimes you can book something online, and that hotel isn't actually available to you. And I only found that out the day before I was supposed to check into these locations. So always make sure you call the property. That would seem like it goes without saying. But although while the Internet can be convenient, sometimes it's not always 100% in situations yeah. like that. So Very true. You know, one other aspect that is that really can come into play, we are, we're seeing this firsthand right now with the fire losses in California where almost 50 people have lost their lives. Yeah. And it's just, it's the domino effect where those 50 people between family members and friends, you could very easily end up with a claim where someone has passed, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a whole another level of of not only mental preparation there but for the stress that's involved in that tonight so sure absolutely being emotionally prepared Mm -hmm. for not just the loss itself but like you said we don't usually deal in a casualty situation but oftentimes we're going to encounter that you know and i think talking a little bit about the aftermath of these events um it's it's worth talking a little bit about personal safety 
you know, as a reminder, always carry your personal and carry your identification with you. There could be checkpoints and restricted areas you might need to access. In addition, there could be curfews in effect. So be sure to research the current conditions in the area you're going to be working in. Also, it goes without saying, if you ever feel unsafe before or during an inspection, there's some precautions that you can take. Dave, what do you recommend someone does in a situation like that? You know, in almost all of these large loss scenarios, um, total loss scenarios, uh, we typically, you know, at Ebro Claim Service have on-site management. Uh, the, the, the individual carriers many times have extra trainers and available people. Take someone with you. Uh, sure, make buddy sure system. that you're yeah, good old buddy system. Yeah. Uh, make sure that you're never there alone. You know yeah. that if you have any uncertainty at all, do not hesitate to track one of us down. Yeah, absolutely. You know it's unfortunate in these scenarios. There's sometimes people looking to take advantage of a bad situation. So, yeah. always put your personal safety first. I know that there's deadlines and appointments to be made, but be sure and take care of yourself. Right. You know, and these losses. You know they. You know. The overwhelming majority of the claims that we handle more and more are are, are are being handled for the homeowner side of things. And this is probably one of the biggest reasons why homeowners carry homeowner's insurance. Mm-hmm. Because this is the ultimate worst that once case in a lifetime a, loss. Once in a lifetime situation. Sure. Except if you were the unfortunate person that had a total loss in the Waldau Canyon fire a few years ago. <clears throat> he purchased a home. In, in the Black Forest, and unfortunately, the very oh, next summer lost his home to fire as yeah. well. So, But, you know, on a personal note, uh, in the, the large loss scenarios that I've worked, they have been, without a doubt, one of the most emotionally gratifying situations for the relationship that you build with the homeowner. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're very, very glad to see you. And, and ultimately, you're able to, you know, be able to have them take that next step to be able to put their lives back together. Sure. Well, I'm sure you become part of their family. You really do. You know, you learn so much about them. And I know that we'll talk about that um, here in a little bit. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're helping these people go through really the probably the worst thing they're ever going to happen unless yeah. they're the one-off person that this has happened to before. So right, right. I can see it be quite rewarding. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the insurance industry, the one thing that rings very true is that the only thing that remains the same is that everything is going to change. <laughs> You know, initially, you're going to be asked to arrive at a location ahead of actual claims being assigned. Yeah. You are going to be in full hurry-up-and-wait mode. Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the hurricanes that we worked um, 10 or 12 years ago down in Florida, we were five to seven days before any claims were even assigned, before we really truly knew where we were going to end up. So there is a whole lot of that uncertainty. Sure, sure. In that spare time. If you know the carrier that you're going to be working with, it's time to do your homework. It's Mm -hmm. time to have them track down policies. You know, almost all the carriers have gone to... on-site, you know, on online versions of everything. Absolutely. And and you need to take the time to make sure because there are so many little triggers that open in a, in a large loss scenario to mm-hmm. where certain coverages kick in and certain coverages come into play. So. Sure. And knowing the deadlines and the mm-hmm. formats for the letters and, you know, the proper steps that you need to take. While it seems consistent among carriers, there's always going to be some tweaks and each kind of has their own different spin on it. So. Correct. And, um, you know, usually you'll get that carrier-specific information or policies, best practices from your EBRO manager, or sometimes you'll get it from our training department. Usually we'll send out an email to you that's got all the pertinent information. We've got an extensive library in our online learning center that you'll be given access that you'll, um, to help you out with those claims as well. True. You know, and then I'd like to just take a quick look at 
kind of how things happen, um, you know, for the each of the kind of the different total loss, large loss scenarios. With hurricanes, you know, there can easily be very widespread damages. You know, it may be a week or more before insurance can even return home. For sure. You know, just like you said with the curfew situations, or e- even be able to get home to access whether or not they even have if damage. If there is a be, home. If there is a home. Yeah. Or, or if there is damage. Yeah. We actually had, um, we had an adjuster working with us down in, down in Houston, and uh, he had just started this assignment, and as that Hurricane Irma changed its path, it ended up going toward his home. Wow. And here, yeah. you know, his his wife is home and about to deliver a baby. So oh. he had to go home and, you know, rescue her and get her out of Have there. his so life. Yeah. You've got all kinds of different things that are coming wow. into play. So, um, and of course, too, with hurricanes, so much of it can be revolving around the floodwaters rising in different areas. Yeah. And again, no access to anything. So, yeah. you know, on the fires, typically those are smaller areas of damage than a, than a big widespread hurricane, mm-hmm. you know, for miles and miles. Uh, but again, safety officials are very concerned with flare-ups uh, and the safety of anyone even entering a burn area. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then if heavy rains happen to come through because an area has been burned, there can be mudslides. Mud you know, yeah. so it's, it's, it's the ultimate catch-22. Absolutely. You know, and then with tornadoes, there's many times there's partial structures that are mm-hmm. still remaining that are very, very unsafe. Sure. And for the most part, too, many times, um, uh, you know, county and local and city officials go through and either condemn a building or that yeah. type of thing. So there's a lot of a lot of different things in, 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 that are going on here. So, so I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this might be a silly question. How does the adjuster know when um, a loss is safe to inspect? Who determines that? I mean, obviously, if you get there you know, you can, you can see some of it, but is there any determining factor? Would you ever get that in advance when you receive the claim file? More often than not, by the time you get the claims, the, the, the claims that I've handled over the years have had, um, you know, the, the carriers have been in contact with the different municipalities and okay. they're, and they're, they're not letting us out the door until they know it's safe for, okay. for us to be safe. Very good. So, all right. And then one other very important factor is the orientation, again, site-specific for the claims that you're handling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on almost all of these large losses, one of the things that comes into the into play more than anything is these poor people are without a home. Sure. And, and that's another factor for many times as adjusters roll into the area in these areas, it's harder to find local housing because sure you've got fema there yes. you've got people that have been displaced you have other first responders and exactly. so it's just taking up any available yeah. housing resources yeah. let alone all of the insureds that need a place to live Absolutely. temporarily yeah. but as part of that um the part of the policy that that um, comes into play there is the additional living expense in our scenario or ale mm-hmm. and um uh depending upon again the carrier uh, the individual adjusters may be either assisting locate properties or um, they already have them, but you need to be working for maybe other needs that they may have. One of the things, of course, that are very, very important too are family pets. Yeah. Or if you're in a rural area like the fires are hitting parts of the, um, in California, yeah. displaced horses. I mean, there's livestock a, issues. Yeah. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when it comes to advanced li- or um, pardon me, um, ALE, mm-hmm. people are looking for places to live. Does the carrier give guidelines on recommending accommodations? I imagine that's a big concern for people when they talk to you. It is, and and it, we find out right away if they haven't already made arrangements okay. for it because of the fact that well, one, the cost is very very 
substantial for the insurer. Certainly. I mean, that's a very, very big it ticket. It can get really high dollar yeah, we fast. Had, uh, we had homes that were that were lost in the uh, Black Forest Fire back in 2013 down in Colorado Springs, where, um, you know, three to 6000 a month that the insurers were paying, uh, you know, to the insureds for, you know, directly to the um, uh, the different companies that did the rentals. Sure. And know, I mean, that so. could be up to a year or more. It is. And, and, and actually, there are a couple of companies that will pay up to 24 months. Okay. As long as the project is moving forward. Sure, you know, sure. It's not carte blanche. Here you go. You, <laughs> yeah. We're going to pay for your place for the next two years. Sure. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We could probably do an entire podcast on ALE, yeah, quite could. frankly. It, it's a pretty interesting topic. It and is. But, kind of uh, but yeah, but we can move on. We digress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then, you know, the other thing is, is that you're going to be doing meetings with these insureds. You're going to be finding out about them. That One of the things to, to really kind of dive into pretty quickly is, um, I, I, again, tongue-in-cheekly mark it as contents, the elephant in the room. Let's find the biggest items first. You start dissecting mm-hmm. because, especially on fire losses, there is virtually nothing left. Yeah. And, and to, to be able to do that and to be able to open those coverages for contents, sure. uh, we need to start working on that right away. Um, it, but the main focus that I have experienced with, with every carrier that I've ever worked with for the um, uh, on the large loss size is that your entire focus, one of the reasons that you will probably not have as many as far as volume of claims is that they want such a hands-on approach. Yeah. And just really that personal focus. touch. Exactly. Yeah. Just that real personal touch and mm-hmm. that real focus on on the insurance. You really want to know you really want to know a much as much about them as you can because if sure. you can find out their hobbies. I had one gentleman that had an ice skating rink. I'm sorry, he had a mini hockey rink at his house. Wow. He had one whole room in his home that was just a dedicated little closet, and it even said on his blueprints, hockey storage. Yeah, So okay. you know that you're going to have a lot of equipment there. There's a whole yeah. bunch of contents items that you can add to your list. You well, know? you're so rebuilding it, their life. You need exactly. to know about their life. So. Exactly. Absolutely. So, true. so. So, you know, you're stressing the personal touch and taking time to get to know people and, you know, learning about their families, their hobbies, their activities, you know, all with the goal of restoring them to where they were. So what are some tips around scheduling the inspections? Obviously, it's going to take quite a while on the inspection side itself, but you're also going to need to spend more time speaking with the insured than, say, during a routine hail claim. What kind of guidance can you give around timing for that? What I've experienced is I have met with the insureds, you know, one or two times, even in a couple of cases, three or four times before even going to the property. Okay. Part of the part of the downtime of before you're able to get to a property, you can utilize that time to be able to meet with them and start mm-hmm. to get to know them a little better, get Great. to know more about them. And then once you do get out to the property, those particular inspections, again, on a total loss, you're your photo requirements aren't as much. You're sure. you're going to get a footprint of, you know, the basics of the foundation. Sure. And then you're going to spend time understanding about the home with them when you do rebuild your estimates. Sure, sure. So obviously it's important to get to know the insured, take time to hear their story. <laughs> um, any words of caution there as far as, you know, maybe having some appropriate boundaries during the claims handling process? You want to be friendly with people. You don't want to be overly friendly. How do you strike an appropriate balance there? You know, I think um, as much as you're there to help them, they know you're there to help, you know, walk through all these processes. Yeah. 
I personally have never encountered that. I'm sure it could Good. happen, but yeah. but uh, again, it kind of goes back to that safety issue too. We had one situation where we had a very irate, I'm sorry, a very upset irate insured within hours of the fire. And mm. there, you know, we, we kind of got to know him a little bit more on a personal basis, but a very frustrating situation, very scary. But yeah. um, uh, again, brought back up and that type of thing. So so just use your best judgment. Yeah. Usually yeah. it's pretty obvious where yes. the relation or the direction is going and mm-hmm. just be cautious. Mm-hmm. And as always, if every if anything seems odd or if you're not sure if it's questionable, just talk to your Eberl management. They've encountered experiences and circumstances you can't even imagine. So I don't think you're going to surprise them with anything that you ask them. Use them them as the resource that they are. So true. You know, and I touched on very briefly just a second ago, claim volume. There really will most likely be a lower number of claims because these losses are so intense and so time consuming that the carrier understands that as much as anything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, once you've met with the insurance, typically you meet at the property discuss the layout of the home, put the, put everything together and start rebuilding the house, you know, sure. through, through, through estimating. And by that time, you know, once you actually get to the property, it's my understanding you've already talked to them multiple times. You've met yes. them at other locations. Yes. Um, so that isn't going to be the first time that you're encountering that person. No, exactly. Is it common that people want to be there for that inspection when you go out or does it depend would, on the person? I would say that um, in, in thinking back over the years, about 75% of the time, the insured is there. Okay. Um, a few years back in Northern California, actually very close to where the fires are now, we had an awful lot of losses that were mountain or weekend homes. Second home, yeah. The second homes where mm-hmm. people lived in other states. And we dealt with yeah. the overwhelming majority of them. No one showed up yeah. because we were they were long distance and, you know, there was no yeah. place to stay. And there was, you know, in the town of Middletown, uh, California, a few years back, uh, where several losses were, they ran out of water fighting the fires. Wow. So there's another situation where pretty much every, everybody in town had to leave. Yeah. You know, so Yeah, you know. absolutely. You know, the other thing that, that happens a lot with, uh, with fire losses, of course, are even though a house may not be destroyed or burned, there's an awful lot of smoke claims. Yeah, we call them smokers. Smokers. <laughs> and uh, and uh, with that said, um, you know, depending upon the fire, if there's... You know, if it's a slower burning, kind of slow rolling fire, there can mm-hmm. be just a, a very large number of smoke claims. The last couple of claim, the last couple of fires that have blown through California have been very fast, very hot, hot very and fast. fast moving, and you will still see some smoke claims, mm-hmm. but percentage-wise, they're typically not as many. So obviously, smoke and fire can present certain health hazards. Are the are there ways that adjusters need to protect themselves, or is that not really a concern by the time they get in there to do their work? Well, you know, like we've talked about uh, on several occasions, the adjuster's safety is of utmost concern for us. Sure, I can tell you that by the time that you're there to do an inspection for a smoke claim, the majority of the people are back in the property. And they sure. wouldn't feel like it's safe for them to be in there. By so the it's time probably stinky, back. but it's not a exactly, health hazard. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So very good. You know, the other thing that really comes into play are um, deadlines and and um, you know time requirements for both on the state level and then the carrier specific deadline. You know, deadlines. You know, in the fires back at um, um, Colorado Springs back in 2013, mm-hmm. we had um, 101 total losses that we handled within the office. And we had all of them 
paid their initial uh, dwelling payments within 30 days. Wow. And uh, to say that that was a lot of work was somewhat of an understatement. But yeah, so how <laughs> many adjusters was that? We had, I believe, Eberl had 14 or 15 adjusters there. The carrier had another dozen or so. Okay. Uh, we each had about 13 to 15 total losses. Which is and a pretty big load for total losses, to be honest. Big load, yes. Yeah, and, that's a lot um, to manage. A lot to manage. But but the initial crunch of that 30 days, our section manager um, basically you know, set the guidelines, set his expectations, and we were within one day. Wow. We were right there on being able to get it all done. So, that's amazing. And then the real work begins. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like we talked about with additional living expenses, um, you know, working with the insured and their contractors or, you know, additional meetings for content inventory. I mean, it just because contents can can draw out. I mean, you know, how many of us know exactly everything that's in our house right now? Very few of us. Mm -hmm. But then once you start going through the process of putting things back together, you're like, oh, wait, we had this also. Mm -hmm. Or, well, there was this, too. And so I can see where contents can kind of turn it into a beast of its own. One uh, one insured that I met with. Um, had gotten the um, the alert to that she had 30 minutes to vacate. Oh wow! She turned on her cell phone and literally walked through every That's room of the house. That's a great idea. On her cell phone, mm-hmm. and then hightailed it out. Yeah. Ironically, at the same time, her husband, um, about two hours later, had gotten out of a meeting down at Colorado Springs, went into the lounge at his work. And looked up at the television and said, hmm, I guess I should probably file a claim since he was watching his house burn down. Wow. Yeah. How surreal. I just can't even imagine. Just uncanny. Wow. And then you jump into, of course, you know, during that deadline time frame when we wrote all of those estimates, you know, talking about the writing, the estimates, depending upon your experience, you know, experience level. You know, writing the total loss will be time-consuming, okay? Yeah, and no it needs to be it. very detailed. You know, utilizing your on-site trainers, of course, is very helpful. They will all have everybody's experience level. They'll all have a tip mm-hmm, for you sure. as to how to do it. And it, it, it is so, so useful to be able to reach out to all the different resources that you had there. You know, one of the largest um, estimates that I've personally been involved with ended up at over 1,400 pages. Wow. And um, to simply change a single line item took about a minute because oh, sure. the, to reload everything. to reload everything yeah. and that was before the, the latest and greatest version <laughs> but uh, that was a that was a time how would you one. like to do the file review on that one <laughs> I don't know <laughs> so and then you know there's a few other aspects that people just don't think about there are so many questions that come up once the house has been burned I had a, mm-hmm. a dear sweet old 73 year old lady that lost her home and she said, well, can I build now? Can I build a single level? And I said, yes, you basically have a fresh palette to beginning there working. You, with. you can You can create what you want. Sure. And she said, well, that's good because in 30 years, I'm going to be, and she said, I'll be 103 and stairs. I want one level. Yeah. You know? So I said, well, that, that all works out good. But, you know, one of the things that several of the questions that we dealt with were, what if I want to build somewhere else? Yeah. You know, what do I do with the property? You know, what if I want to buy an existing home? What if mm-hmm. I want to build in another state? So there's all those other questions that come into play sure. uh, for the insured. So 
So, you, I mean, you know, you kind of brought it up. What What do you tell them? Can you rebuild somewhere else? Is that yes? yes they can. Yes, yes. They can rebuild wherever they'd like. Yes. And in in again, kind of dating back to that that Colorado Springs fire, we had one uh, insured's family that decided they wanted to rebuild on some property that they had up in up in Wyoming, mm-hmm. and um, uh, they ended up just more or less fixing up the property that was burned. You mm-hmm. know, hauled everything out tilled it all up yeah. and fixed it up and then moved on up to building up there. And then, then there is another avenue that comes into play where ordinance or law issues come into play where their home before wasn't up to code. Yeah. So if any of those similar code items come into play, there's additional coverage there. Yeah, so sure. A lot of different aspects. So I, I'm sure this is something that happens occasionally. What happens if the home isn't rebuilt, but their additional living expense has run out? Oh, great, great question. We actually dealt with that um, three or four different, you know, three or four different insureds couldn't make up their mind what they wanted to do, couldn't make up their mind where they wanted to build. And the, the clock is running. And, okay. you know, so, so when it's up, it's up. And mm-hmm. if they are if they're making some progress, almost all the carriers will will help them extend or well, right. actually more so from the standpoint of, hey, this is when it's going to end, and so they kind of move them along. They kind of move them. These along. decisions yeah. need to start being made. Exactly, and I see. because yeah. once that once that clock is up, I have not encountered one where they've extended it. Okay, good so, to know. Yes, and good for everyone to know listening that that's just not going to be an option. So, yeah. to the extent that you can, you know, right. people need to be moving things along, which mm-hmm. it's a hard process, and mm-hmm. I can understand it's difficult yeah. to make those new decisions. But yeah. yeah, that that's good to keep in mind. So, um, you know, another thing that you probably encounter: what if the new home that they want costs more than the proceeds of the policy limit? And we had that happen. I, I held, handled one of those where it was about ten to twelve thousand more. Okay. And uh, they knew they were buying a slightly bigger home, mm-hmm. but because of some additional features that were in the home that were similar to the existing home, it came out that they were only out of pocket about two thousand dollars when oh, wow. all, all was said and done. Okay. So there yeah, can be so. some kind of wiggle room oh, in there, sure. and yeah. you can make things work. Yep. Well, I'm sure there's an endless amount of questions, but, you yeah. know, I, I think that um, those are probably some of the top difficult ones that mm-hmm. you get most definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know we've run through a lot of information here. It's been really enlightening. I know for myself, I it's a whole new world of large loss. Um, you know, as I asked in the beginning, you know, what's the difference between large loss and total loss and things. So I hope that our listeners have, um, definitely gotten value out of it. I'm sure we could discuss this particular area of claims at length, but you know, we can only talk for so long today. Any final bit of closing advice for our adjusters out there? Absolutely. I think the one real important factor is to is to have that good rapport with your dispatcher because if sure. if they're aware that that you've got that kind of experience, um, and even if you've got a lot of experience but haven't handled those, it's a great learning experience. Absolutely. You, if you've handled a bunch of claims, you can handle these. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, so keep them keep them up to date as to. Um, not only up to date for availability, but you know, up to date on your resume, up to date yeah. on on the type of claims that you've handled and that type of thing. Yeah. Because because when they do come along, we're usually scrambling. We're to looking try to for find people. Exactly. I, I think that's so, an excellent point, Dave. I'm glad you mentioned it. You know, letting your dispatcher know what your latest experience is is key. We 
it never fails. You know, we hate to see someone miss an assignment because we just simply didn't know they had the experience. Correct. Um, so definitely keep us up to, up to date on that. And, you know, whether you work with us on that assignment or someone else, it's always a good idea to check with your Emerald Dispatcher, recap your latest storm so we consider you for anything you're qualified for. Absolutely. Well, Dave, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know it's been crazy for you lately here in Colorado and around the country, but uh, we always appreciate you uh, sharing your claims handling knowledge with us. It, it's vast and uh, just really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone out there listening. Have a great day. Thanks, Tina.